So tonight we're starting a new series, and it's going to be called A Man Like Us. And we're going to look at a verse in the book of James, and it's going to tell us about a guy. And, and we're going to hear that he was a man like us. And then if we hear that, we're going to go back into the Old Testament and read about his life and see what we can learn from him. And I think we'll learn lots of things about faith, lots of things about belief in God. We'll learn some things about prayer, too, as we go through this series. Um, and so I was really excited for Collegiate Day of Prayer. Apparently, I was a month early. Um, but part of that, that I was so excited about it, is just as we were praying for this semester, we really were um, feeling led that we need this to be a semester of prayer. Like we need to pray for our campus. We need to pray for God to move in us and pray for God to move in other students around us. You know, because that person sitting right next to you in class, like they might be down. They might not have hope in Christ. And you know who God sends in those situations? It's probably you because you're in the seat next to them. But, but we need to pray and we need to ask God just for opportunities to love well on our campus, right? Um, but it starts with asking God, right? Pray first. Um, Ian Bounds says that we need to talk to God more about men than we talk to men about God. So that means it's like we need to pray about it more than we tell people about it. Cool. I love that quote. It convicts me because I talk a lot. Mm-hmm. I need to make sure that I talk a lot more. Oh my God. Um, but so our series is called A Man Like Us. And we'll start in James chapter 5 and verse 17 and 18. It says this. Elijah was as human as we are, yet he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall and none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield crops. So you guys, as a Christian, our most powerful resource is communication with God. And that happens through prayer. This is often even more effective than we could have imagined. So when we pray about something, it often has even better results than we imagine. But so often people see prayer as a last resort to try when everything has failed. Right? Anybody ever been there? I've totally been there. Right? And um, if you get to know Matt, he loves to say this phrase. So get to know Matt so you can hear this phrase. He loves to say this phrase. You start to tell him about a problem. And he says, what did God say when you prayed about it? Right? But it's such a good phrase because I'm like, I should have prayed about it. Right? So usually I just have to walk away. Right. Then I can come back and tell them about the problem. Um, but, but a lot of times we get that backwards. Prayer should come first because God's power is so much greater than our power. So it makes sense to rely on him and come to him in prayer, especially because God's word encourages us, encourages us to do so. So the verse right before these verses on Elijah and James, um, verse 16, it says, The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Right? So that the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So what does earnest mean? This means that it's heartfelt. Right? And so we're like, I, I could have a heartfelt prayer. Then we get to that one, it's like a righteous person. But, but that's not saying we're perfect. That's saying that through Christ we're made perfect because of what he did on the cross. Okay? So you can be a righteous person and still know like I lied to my professor about doing my homework, but I'm sorry, right? We need to be sorry. We should repent, but, but we can still, still be righteous in Christ through what he's done with blood if you, if you ask Jesus to be your Savior, okay? 
and still kind of like squabble from day to day. Um, so when it says righteous, it doesn't mean like you're perfect and like never ever mess up or have a hair out of place. Okay, just to make that clear. But it says that those prayers have great power and they produce wonderful results. So why not pray, right? Like if there's power when we talk to God about things and something wonderful could happen, man, we should talk to God about things, right? That makes me excited about prayer. Um, and so, as you might have guessed, we're going to focus on Elijah. But what it says in these verses is it says he was as human as we are. Um, in the ESV, it says Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, who so is similar to us, right? Uh, the CEV says he was just as human as we are. The ISV says he was a person just like us. That should give us hope, right? That should give us hope. Because this dude that we're about to learn all about in the next three weeks, he was, a, he was a person just like me. He was a person just like you. And a lot of times, I don't know about you guys, but when I read about, like, heroes of the faith in the Bible, right, I'm like, that was like them. And they're spiritually, like, way up here and super cool and, like, way better than I could ever be in my head, right? But then we get to James, and James is like, Elijah was just a dude. He was just a dude who believed in God. And, and that kind of like, honestly, when I went through this book a few years ago and I was really like going slowly through James and praying, it changed the way I pray. So it's like, Elijah wasn't a dude. And you'll see, you'll see, if you don't know the story of Elijah, you'll see. You'll be like, he's just a dude. Because <laughs> he does some amazing things, right? But it's like, if Elijah was just a dude, David, the guy that killed the giant, he was just a dude, right? And we go through all the people in the Bible and like, this is a dude, this is a lady. Right? They, but they believe in a big God. The only person that's different is Jesus because he is God. Okay? Everybody else in there is just a human, just like us. Um, and that should give us hope. There's a quote by Mike Bickle that says, We meet the great women and men, men and women of the Bible, face to face in heaven. We may be surprised to discover just how much like us they are. It is faith in a great God that makes a great man or woman of God. I like that. It's faith in a great God who makes a great man or woman of God, right? It's not that I'm great, but it's that we have faith in a great God. So we're going to spend the next few weeks looking at Elijah, and like we said, he wasn't like this spiritual, like, super saiyan, right? He's not level prestige Christian. Um, you know, he's not been like... Building, building up and getting better, and he's not been, um, what's it called with the Pokemon? Right? Where you're like, yeah, but like, where they, you evolve them. He's not like the most evolved of the EV form or whatever, you know, like, he's not gone Vaporeon. He's just a dude, right? He's just a dude. Um, so we're going to look at First Kings, and we're going to read about this guy, and, um, we're going to read tonight one story, and then we'll do the next story next week, and the next story the next week. Um, but I want you to keep that in mind every week. He's just a dude who believes in a great God, okay? Because that changes everything. But for now, we're going to turn to 1 Kings 17, and we're going to go through a chapter of the Bible tonight. That's going to be fun. Some of you guys have not read a chapter of the Bible in a little minute. But tonight, you get to like go home and say, I read a chapter of the Bible. Because it's going to be up there. If you read along, you read it. Um, but man, I love the Bible. If you don't know me yet, 
you'll learn. I love the Bible. I'm really passionate about it because God has just taught me so much there, so much life change, and there's like so much wisdom. Um, so I really, really love the Bible. So in 1 Kings 17, verse 1, it says, Now Elijah, who was from Tishbe and Gilead, told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. So some context here, okay? Because, like, this is the first time we see Elijah in the Bible. Does it sound like the first time? No, it sounds like we should have had some introduction. We should know who this guy is, right? Usually in the Old Testament, sometimes in the New, when somebody big comes on the scene, there's a genealogy. So we're like, this was his daddy, and this was his daddy's daddy, and so he's somebody. So you should pay attention to him. But Elijah, we don't get any of that. We don't get any of that. There's no introduction, no warm-up. The Bible reads, like, out of nowhere, this dude just waltzes up to the king and says, it ain't going to rain. <laughs> like, like that's kind of like what we're what we're facing here. Um, so we need some context. So Elijah, the day he was living in in Israel, ancient Israel, talking about, they were in a situation where there was national apostasy. So what does that mean? At this point in Israel's history, there was not exclusive exclusive worship of God. It was absent in most places. So that means that. Um, there was God, and they were like, yeah, yeah, the God of Israel, he's our God, but also, and there was idol worship, and, and there was people worshiping multiple gods, right? And so that's apostasy, that's idol worship, so I will forbid that. What's interesting, though, for us is that we live in a similar time where people worship a little bit of everything, right? It might be a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of horoscope, a little bit of pop psychology, a little bit of conspiracy theory, right? A little bit of intellectualism. Um, we could go on and on and on. People will say sometimes that they're Christian, but they live as functional atheists or functional materialists or functional naturalists in the day-to-day, right? Because sometimes we say, oh, yeah, I'm a follower of Christ. But then in my life, in my functional day-to-day, what does my life say, right? And that's what was happening in Israel, is these people, they were like, yeah, yeah, we follow the God of Israel, but then, like, they're sacrificing things to Baal. <laughs> and so, God's like, mm, not, not so much. Um, and so, it's a picture in the Bible of we can't have God and. Okay? Like, God calls for exclusive worship. So we worship him and him alone. And a lot of times, just as humans, what we want to do is we want to say, well, yeah, I want God, I want Jesus. And, right? And we add things on. But anytime there's God and, we've entered into idolatry. Because there can't be an and. There can only be God. And so Elijah is living in this context where, like, this is national. This is everybody. And as, as we'll read later, he feels like he's literally the only one following God at this point in his life. He doesn't say it in this chapter. We'll read it later. Um, also, Elijah appears to be a nobody. Like we said, usually when somebody notable in the Bible is mentioned, there's like a history or a lineage or something. Um, but it just says he's a guy from Tishbe, and he appears to be a nobody. This is kind of cool, you guys, because God loves to use nobodies. Right? So you're sitting there, and you're thinking, we're reading about Elijah, and I've heard a little bit about the Bible, and he does some pretty cool things. And God could never, ever use me to do anything nearly that cool, because who am I? 
Here's somebody God wants to use through nobody, like life, right? And and you may not be a nobody, but like I'm a nobody. But it's encouraging because God can God can use me. He loves to use nobodies. So also in this, even in this beginning part, we see Elijah's view of God. God's alive to Elijah, and God is real to Elijah. Because there is no other way he could have marched into like a face-to-face meeting with a king and just said, it's not going to rain. And we'll see why in a minute, right? If he did not believe that God spoke to him, it is not going to rain. He would not have done this. But he, he believes God so he can have great faith because he knows he has a great gut. And so the other thing we need to explain for context, aside from the national apostasy, which is God in, right, and Elijah being nobody, is why it's not going to rain. Because we are like thousands of years removed from ancient Israel, right? Anybody ever been to ancient Israel? No, you might have been to Israel, but you're not been to ancient Israel, right? Um, we're really far removed, and so like the Israelites would have done where they grew up and um, they were taught the first five books of the Bible, right? So they would have been taught this, so they would know this. This is something we don't know, so we have to talk about it. But Elijah said it's not going to rain, and that's a judgment that the book of Deuteronomy lists for idol worship. So when he walks up to the king and he says, it's not going to rain, he's basically saying, because you have led this nation into idolatry, we're going to have a drought. And there's a lot of implications in that. We maybe like don't read into that. But, he, but I mean, he like walks up to this guy and he basically says, like, you're leading our nation horribly and God's going to judge you. Um, that's what's happening there. This is further interesting to me, and I find it a little bit funny, um, because the main false god, which was like the Canaanite gods, that King Ahab and his wife Jezebel are leading Israel to worship is Baal. You know what Baal was supposed to be the god of? Rain. He was supposed to be the god of rain. <laughs> right? So when God sends this drought and it doesn't rain, it makes Baal look really bad. <laughs> And so it's kind of funny, because even in this, you can see that, like, the Lord has a bit of a sense of humor. Because um, he's like, I'm going to judge you guys, and I'm going to judge you guys in a way that you know this false god is empty and worthless. <laughs> and does not have any power, right? And so there's a drought, which is kind of like laughing in the face of Baal. So I'll read on in fourteen seventeen, verse 2. It says, Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go to the east and hide by the Kirith brook near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. Does it sound like a good meal plan? Yeah. Go drink from a brook and birds will feed you. Um, so Elijah did as the Lord told him, and he camped beside Kirith Brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while, the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. So he gets this, like, wilderness meal plan, right? And it kind of echoes what God did in the Exodus, where he said that he provided for the people supernaturally in the morning and evening, right? Um, but what's happening here is God is supernaturally providing for Elijah. And it's cool, because we can see in this that God provides for his people. Now, sometimes he does a supernatural thing, and, like, birds flutter down and bring you bread and meat. That's never happened to me. Right? God has provided for me, but it's not in a way. Sometimes he provides um, by giving us wisdom to get a job or wisdom in how to 
raise money or wisdom in how to handle our finances, okay, but God always provides for his people. Sometimes it's supernatural. Sometimes it's just logical wisdom that he gives us. Um, but what's really neat is God spoke to Elijah about this, right? And he obeyed. So we can learn from this that when God speaks, we need to obey. And so Elijah lives by God's word in a culture that's rejecting it, right? And a whole culture that's like, no, we're going to trust in Baal for it. God speaks and he's like, I'll trust the bird to bring it because God said. Um, which I don't know about you guys, but that would be scary. Right? Just to go to a place and trust that, like, a bird is going to bring me dinner. Like, I don't know about you guys, but if you've ever been in need or ever been without a meal, that would that would be testing my faith. I'd be sitting there like, where's the spray pen? I'm going to need it to come. Okay? Um, so, but Elijah lives by God's word in a culture that rejects it. And it teaches us that we too need to submit to God's word, right? And that's not always audible words, but we have a whole lot of what God has said to us already right here in the Bible. And if we read it, he will teach us, he will speak to us. Um, and there was this quote I found, and it's in a book called God's Care of Elijah. It talks about God's provision. It says this, and I think it's up there. It says, God is pleased to give some of his servants in bulk, but there are many others who only live from hand to mouth, and perhaps... Though not the best for the flesh, it is the best for fate for apt when mercies come regularly to forget from whence they flow. So this is kind of talking about the way God provides. It's like sometimes he provides supernaturally, right? But a lot of times he provides for us little by little because it keeps us dependent on God. And not, I don't know about you guys, but honestly, I think for me, sometimes I need that. Because he just... Gave me like a giant chunk of money now, and I didn't ever like need to work again. I probably forget everything that matters and all of my priorities very quickly, right? But it keeps me dependent on Him. It keeps me going to Him and, and knowing that He's providing for me and growing in relationship to Him, and that's kind of good for me. So it's not always bad when God's providing little by little. Okay, that can still be good. A lot of times we're like, No, I just want you to provide, and then we're done. Uh, but God's like, no, I want a relationship with you, so we're going to do this little by little. So we read on. We're at verse 8 now. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I've instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath, and he arrived at the gates of the village, and he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, would you please bring me a little cup of flour? She, as she was going to get it, he called to her, Bring me a bite of bread, too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house, and I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil at the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. It's kind of tragic, right? Um, but Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you said, but make a little bread for me first. Right? I mean, so, so he laughs, but like, right? You'd be like, sir? Um, make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. 
Now, some of you guys laughed partway through that. And, I mean, I'm with you. Would, would you have, like, used your last little bit of grain and your last bit of oil and some prophet comes up? He's like, yeah, yeah, you're about to starve to death, but make me dinner first. <laughs> like, would you have done it? No. Right? I mean, so we got some honest ones. No. But he kind of tests your faith, and he's like, feed me first, and God will provide for you. But what's really cool about this is, like, so the Lord was already providing for Elijah, right? He had the brook, and he had the raven meal plan, and he didn't, he didn't have to do anything. He was camping out in the wilderness, eating, doing well. And then God decides to move him and change the way he's providing for him. And you guys, this is big, and this is something that we really need to learn. So in the middle of providing for Elijah, God shifts how he's going to do so. And you guys, sometimes we get uncomfortable in these shifts, but we need to listen to God and trust him in those seasons. Because now God not only is going to provide for Elijah, but God somehow saw that there's a widow and a son, and they're going to starve to death, and I want to provide for them too. So he moves Elijah and as he provides for Elijah, he provides for this widow and her son. So, you guys, what we can get from that is sometimes God wants to use us even in our time of need. There can be moments where we have, like, nothing. And God can say, I want you to help this person anyways. And God can, like, use us and, and he'll, like, bless us and he'll bless them. Right? And that's really important because there's so many times, and you guys, I struggle with this personally. There's so many times that I know our family is just making it, right? Our family is barely making it because, like, we're missionaries. We're, we're month to month, right? Um, and then somebody will be in need or they'll be like, oh, I didn't have lunch money, right? And I'm there with them. And, and there's a hesitation because I'm like, if I swipe this card and we get lunch, I don't know if me and my kids are going to have dinner. And it takes trust in those moments. And, and like, I'll be honest, there's times I'm like, God, I don't want to do it. But I feel like the Holy Spirit's leading me, and it's like, you know, bless, bless this person. You know, and every time, he has been faithful, right? Sometimes he's faithful, like, you go home, and there's money in the mailbox. Praise the Lord, that's the faithful I like, Right? <laughs> Sometimes you go home and you dig to the back of the freezer and you find the weird thing that you don't remember what it is and you cook it. Is God still faithful? Yeah. Yes, he's still faithful. Right? It's like, definitely I prefer one to the other, but it's like, man, if he used me to be a blessing to somebody else and now I have to eat a weird mixture of things that I found in the back of my pantry with my kids, like they're probably going to complain about what I cook anyway. So might as well make it fun. You know, and, and God used me to bless somebody, but he always provides. Like, he's always taking care of us as we obey, right? Now, if I get disobedient, God's always been good, too. But I feel like in those moments, I'm like, you really shouldn't have blessed me for things, <laughs> right? But God takes care of his people. Um, God wants to use us even in our times of need. So through this, God is showing great compassion on this widow and her son. Through Elijah, just him staying there. Um, but he tested her, and he asked her to bake the bread first. And I think we're all kind of honest. We're like, I don't, I don't know that I would do it. Um, but so you remember how we were laughing at Baal? Because Baal is the god of what? Rain. Rain, right? And they're going through a drought. So Baal is looking like pretty dumb. 
right? So this is something that, like, if you don't look at a map, this doesn't make sense. But where God sends Elijah to stay with this widow, it's in Baal territory. It's outside of Israel. So not only did God send a drought and make Baal look bad, now he sends his prophet into Baal's home country, and he continues to be God and provide. Right? In the middle of a drought. And, and he's like, the people worshiping me? It's fine. Right? And, and so it's like this whole story is just showing, like, these idols, they're not the way. Right? The one true God is the one with the house and the one with there. Um, so he, God's provision extends even to Baal's hunter. So read on. Sometime later, a woman's son became, the woman's son became sick, and he grew worse and worse, and finally he died. Then she said to Elijah, O man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come here to point out my sins and kill my son? But Elijah replied, Give me your son. And he took the child's body from her arms, carried him upstairs to the room where he was staying, and laid the body on the bed. Then Elijah cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, why have you brought this tragedy to this widow who has opened her home to me, causing her son to die? And he stretched himself over the child three times, and he cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, please let this child's life return to him. Then the Lord heard Elijah's prayer, and the life of the child returned, and he revived. Then Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother. Look, he said, your son's alive. And the woman told Elijah, now I know for sure that you are a man of God, and that the Lord truly speaks through you. And so, at this point, like, where we left before, we're thinking, man, things are going well. Like, Elijah's staying with the widow, the widow and the son, they got food to eat. And then, so we get here, and it's like, what is up with this? Like, God brings Elijah here to bless this widow and her son, and show compassion, and then the son dies, right? In that, like, life. It's, it's like life. So we don't really know what, what happened to the boy or why it happened, but what we do know from the text is that both the widow and Elijah attribute this to something that God has done. It's kind of implied with her, with Elijah. He straight up is like, God, why do you do this? Um, but they responded two different ways, right? The widow responds with anguish and blaming, kind of like, prophet, if you weren't here, my son would be fine. But we know that's not true. Right? Because what was going to happen when they met? They were going to die. Okay, so, so like, God has them in blessing. Um, but she's, she's anguished, so she responds out of emotion, and, like, y'all have a mama? Probably would, too. Um, but Elijah responds with desperate prayer. They both know that, like, man, something's up, and this must have been something happened to you with the Lord. But Elijah responds with prayer. And so in the midst of this tragedy, he knows exactly where to go. So he goes to God in prayer. And this is a quote in a book I read that was really great. It says, The prayer of a righteous person doesn't always mean having the right answers or always understanding God's purposes. Elijah took his anxieties and concerns to God in prayer. And he's, you guys, he's kind of super real with God here, right? Like, he's not like, Oh, wonderful God, our Father, please raise up this boy, Amen. No, I mean, he puts his kid on the bed, and he's like, why'd you let this happen, God? Like, he's very real with the Lord, but he knows where to go. And I think God can take that. Sometimes in those moments of, of anguish and we don't understand, God can take that when we're real. Um, and, like, so interesting things. We've been picking on Baal, right? 
Canaanites had many, many gods. Baal submitted to one other god in their understanding of things. That one was Mott. You know what Mott was the god of? Yeah. Um, and so he was the god of death. That's kind of a weird god's worship. I don't think I would like that. Um, but Mott was the god of death. So now, not only has God shown, hey, I'm greater than Baal, but God shows that he's greater than Mott also. And he's showing that he's greater than any other god. And it's like one by one, the Lord is showing off in the story, saying, like, I'm greater. I'm greater. So the boy is raised to life. And um, this is something we can learn from that. So in the Bible, resurrection is always used to show proof of the promise of God. I'll say it again, so it's kind of long. In the Bible, resurrection is always used to show proof of the promise of God. So when this boy is raised to life, what does the widow do? What does she realize? That Elijah's really a man of God. I think up until this point, she's like, this miraculous stuff is happening. I don't really get it. But at this point, it's where she really puts her faith in Elijah's God. Because remember, she's Canaanite. She's not Israelite, so she didn't already know God. Um, and then when we see the resurrection of Jesus, right, when Christ was raised to life after he was crucified on the cross, he came back to life three days later. That's proof of every promise the Bible has for the Messiah. That that one act of Jesus raising from the dead, that's proof that God wasn't a liar. Because you guys, Elijah was great, but Jesus is greater. The story of Elijah raising up a widow's son in 1 Kings sounds really familiar. Jesus has a similar story in the Gospels. In the Gospel, there's a widow in Nain, and she has a son who has also died, and he is raised to life by Jesus. The difference, okay, and here's the difference, is Elijah takes this, this child, this child's body to the upper room, and he cries out to God, and he begs God, and God answers. Jesus simply looks at the coffin and says, get up. Right? So the difference is, like, Elijah's praying to God, Jesus is God in the flesh. And when talking to Martha about Lazarus' death and the resurrection, Jesus says this in John 11:25. 25. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. God's power to raise the dead was demonstrated once for all by the resurrection of Jesus. So this means, like we kind of were talking at the beginning, when we say we, we can say I'm a righteous person, like the fervent prayer of a righteous person. How do we say that? Was because of what Jesus did, because he came and he walked this earth as God in the flesh. He he didn't sin, so he never did anything wrong, even though we do. He never did, right? He did miracles. And then he was persecuted and he died on the cross, right? And he did that, not because he deserved it, but he did it to take our place. So when you're raised from the dead three days later, he conquered death in the grave, not for himself because he was sinless, but for us. Right, so that we could be righteous, so that we could be clean if we trust him as our Lord and our Savior. So Jesus made the grave like a bed and the resurrection like waking up. And I think that's pretty cool, right? 
Like even for the boy he raised to life before, the room was like a bed to get up. Right? And for every person who trusts in Christ, whether we die on this earth or we're ruptured when Jesus comes back, right? We don't stay dead. It's just a little rest until we see God face to face. That's pretty cool. Right? That's pretty cool. Um, so Jesus, our Savior, he's conquered death in the grave, and he wants us, like this widow, to see that he alone is God and worship him alone. He wants us to trust him like Elijah trusted him. But we can't do that if we're following God like the Israelites during Elijah's time did. Right? We can't have God and. We have to follow just God. No God and. So we can't have God and our job, right? Or God and school. Y'all are like to make good grades. But that's got to be greater. Can't have God and clubs or God and ideologies or God and political parties or God and other religious ideas. We have to have just God alone, right? And the hardest one is we can't have God in ourselves, Right? We really can't. There's there's this lie. We kind of, some friends and I at church, we've been talking about this in our ladies' group. Um, but there's this lie in our culture. And girls, you're going to follow me a little bit more than the boys because you probably like Pinterest and like the pretty graphics on Instagram. Anybody with me? Like, like people post them and you're like, oh, that makes me feel good. And so you like double tap it and pull a heart. Um, but there's, there's this lie in our culture. And ladies, we love to post this. But it says, you are enough. Right? And it sounds so pretty. And it sounds so good. And you posted it, fully no judgment, because I'm sure at some point in my life I did. Right? But the truth is that, like, I'm not enough. Like, I've sinned. I fall short. Like, it's, it's not true. And so when I'm saying, like, I'm enough and everything in me, like, that's all I need, that's saying I don't need God. Right? And that's just... It's not right. It sounds good. And man, it's pretty and it's got cute little flowers and like swirly graphics. But it's but that's not that's not truth. And a lot of times that's our end. It's not God and something else. It's just that, right? It's like not God in school or whatever. It's just God in me. So when we put God in the proper place in our lives and put him first, we trust that he alone is the God that the Bible tells us he is. We can pray with authority just like Elijah did. Okay? We can pray with authority just like Elijah did. And so um, we're going to pray, and the next week we're going to pick up, we're going to talk about Elijah and the prophets of Baal, which is like crazy story, right? And then we're going to have to remember Elijah was just a dude, right? Because we're going to read that, and we're like, not only did Raven see him, because this is where we're at now, right? Ravens have fed him. God has supernaturally provided food, and he has raised a child to life. And it, like, it gets better. These still just a dude who trusted in God, right? And he trusted in a great God, and that's how he, these great things happen. Um, so we're going to take a minute and pray. Um, we're going to pray for three things. The first one is, if you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you guys, that's the biggest, most important decision you can ever make. Um, so if you haven't and you want to, you definitely have an opportunity to do that. The second one is God and issues. I'm not going to ask you what it is. You can just raise your hand, and you and God know. We'll pray, okay? Um, 
And then the third one is if you just want to grow in your prayer life. Right? I don't know about you guys, but I, I feel like I could stand to grow in my prayer life. I could stand um, to grow in how much I trust God so I ask him for, for the things I need and such. Um, so if you guys would bow your heads for just a minute, we'll pray. Um, Lord, I just thank you for these students. God, I pray your blessing on them. God, I pray that you would use your word, God, to stir in our hearts. And God, help us, Lord God, to know you, to follow you, to put you first in our life and serve you alone. In Jesus' name. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, is there anybody here that would say, I need to know Jesus as my Savior? But if that's you, you can just raise your hand. Nobody's going to over there anybody that would say I need prayer for God and issues there's just a few things that anybody says I, I want to grow my prayer life oh God you see these students God you see each one Lord you know where they're at so God I pray that you would come and you would meet them here in this moment tonight Lord God I pray for those that are struggling with, Lord, loving you, but not loving you alone. God, I pray that you would, um, Lord, help them just to release those other things they're holding on to in the name of Jesus. Lord God, that it wouldn't be God and anything, it would be God alone. And God, you would just help us to have our priorities straight, Lord God, and, and not put anything else in the place you alone deserve in the name of Jesus. And God, I pray for these students that want to grow in their prayer life in the name of Jesus. God, would you give them an insatiable desire to talk to you Lord God, and would you just stir their hearts to start to bring things to you? And even in those moments where they're they're about to call a friend and vent, or they're about to, you know, whatever they do when they're even upset, Lord God, I pray that they would just have a catch in their spirit and be like, oh, I can talk to God about it. Lord God, that you would meet them if they speak to you about things. Lord God, you would meet them in prayer. Lord, we just thank you in advance for the things your prayers, our prayers are going to do and you're going to do through them. In Jesus' name. Thank mm-hmm. you.